Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about how Tylenol can help ease the pain of social rejection and why you probably don't know the back of your hand very well at all. You'll also learn about a real-life scheme to steal money that comes straight from movies like Office Space in this week's edition of Math Mishaps with Matt Parker. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Tylenol won't just ease your headache. It can also ease a more metaphorical kind of pain. New research says that a special blend of Tylenol and forgiveness can ease the pain of social rejection. Surprising, right? How's it possible that the same Tylenol that treats back pain also treats that gnawing feeling you get when a date ghosts you? And yet, it is possible. And this isn't even the first evidence for it. Research from a decade ago showed that people who took acetaminophen regularly tended to have fewer hurt feelings over that time than people who took a placebo. When the researchers looked at the Tylenol takers' brains in an fMRI, they saw less activity in regions associated with processing emotional pain than they did in the brains of people who took a placebo. Scientists think this works because the brain uses some of the same pathways for signaling physical pain as it does social pain. Since acetaminophen eases physical pain by influencing those pathways, it makes sense that it can do the same for social pain. A new study from researchers at UCLA and UC Davis adds another element to the mix. Forgiveness. The team already knew that practicing forgiveness can help lower the stress and negative feelings that come from social exclusion, but they weren't sure what would happen when they mixed this more psychological approach with Tylenol's pharmacological fix. So they had 45 people take either acetaminophen, a placebo, or nothing every day for 21 days. Every night, they took surveys that measured their levels of forgiveness by asking how they felt about someone who wronged them in the past, and social pain by asking how easily their feelings were hurt that day. After the study was over, the participants with the highest levels of forgiveness who took acetaminophen reported a reduction in social pain of nearly 20%. Why is this combo so effective? The researchers say it's because acetaminophen acts synergistically with a person's ability to forgive. This research promises to do more than ease the sting of being excluded. One of its most important applications might be helping teenagers who go through a socially painful life event, like a big breakup or their parents' divorce. Experiencing that kind of intense social pain in adolescence strongly predicts developing depression in the future. It's possible that this over-the-counter medication could ease that damage. But before you head to the medicine cabinet, a word of warning. Taking too much acetaminophen can cause liver damage. So stay on the safe side by consuming less than 3,000 milligrams per day. Or better yet, check with your doctor first. And to be crystal clear on this, I know Ashley kind of mentioned this, but we are absolutely not telling you to just pop some pills to fix your problems. Please do not do that. Regardless of future medical applications, a major takeaway from this research is that it shows us just how interconnected the mind and body really are. Pretty interesting stuff. It really is. Ashley, have you ever seen the 1999 movie Office Space? I don't know if I'd say I'm missing it, Bob. That's not, <laughs> that's not actually an in-context answer to your question, but it's still an answer to your question. <laughs> it is still an answer to my question. If you are around Ashley's in my age, then you probably remember this classic comedy. It's kind of like a rated R version of the Dilbert comics and highly quotable, but definitely for adults only. So kids, sorry. 
But one of the central plot points of the movie has to do with manipulating math to make money. And believe it or not, it's a thing people have tried in real life. That brings us to another edition of Monday Math Mishaps with Matt Parker. Matt is a stand-up comedian, a YouTube personality, and a best-selling author with a new book called Humble Pie, Pie as in P-I, When Math Goes Wrong in the Real World. This book educates and entertains with stories like this one, which Matt told us about when I mentioned that central scheme from Office Space. Here's Matt with the plot of that movie, in case you're not familiar, as well as what happened in real life. Yeah, that is a thing called a salami slicing attack, which is a great name. And so in Office Space, it's a bit like the plot of Superman 2. They alter some code. So whenever there's a financial transaction, you often get fractions of a penny. Like you do the calculation of interest or something and you end up with, you know, like $17 point two nine four five. You get all these extra digits and they just round it up or round it down. And so their scheme was instead of rounding it, you just take that extra fraction of a penny and you move it into a separate account. And I thought this was fascinating. Great film. And so I looked into it and there have been cases where this happens. And it's called a salami slicing attack because the theory is if you have like a salami and you slice the thinnest bit off the end, no one will be able to tell you took any. And if you do that repeatedly, you gradually, no one notices any one slice, but you build up with a lot of salami. And so I found uh, employees in banks have done it where they've taken random, very small amounts of money from different people's accounts, uh, but never hitting the same account too frequently, never taking much. And they're going on the assumption people won't notice three sense discrepancy or something, right? And then they gradually accumulate money. Apparently, they were discovered when the bank was looking for its best customers and they found this account, which was being incredibly well used. Turns out it was the employee stealing small amounts of money um, from other customers. And even the IRS, uh, the IRS is not gonna let you get away with rounding because if you're a company and you're, pay- you're withholding tax for all your employees, Again, each time you've got to round it. But if you're doing all this rounding, there's little pennies that are being rounded off here and there, and they may not match, like if you're consistently rounding down, they may not match the total amounts that there's on payroll once it's been rounded. And so on all their forms, the IRS have a tiny box for these rounding discrepancies, so you can put in the pennies that would be different if you rounded a different way. And so it it does happen in the real world. It's never much money, but the IRS is still on it. Does anyone else suddenly feel like eating some salami and never messing with the IRS? We'll be back next Monday for more math mishaps with Matt Parker. But in the meantime, if you're looking for a good book, then check today's show notes for a link to pick up Humble Pie when math goes wrong in the real world. You've probably heard the saying, I know it like the back of my hand. And that usually means you know something really, really well. Well, I don't want to be pedantic, but that's not totally right. Recent research suggests that your mental image of the back of your hand is probably not as accurate as you think. So how well do you know the back of your hand? Well, researchers at York University decided to find out. And they didn't do it just to test an old cliche, but to learn more about how our brains perceive our bodies. After all, our hands are pretty important, both in our everyday lives and in scientific studies. 
Neuroscientists use people's hands to test the brain's role in sensory perception, motor skills, tool use, and lots of other skills. So it's pretty important to know whether our brains have a vastly distorted sense of what our hands actually look like. The researchers brought in 40 participants and took pictures of their hands, both the backs of them and the palms. Then they created all sorts of different distorted versions of the photos to make them wider or narrower or longer or shorter than the original. And finally, they showed each participant two photos of their hands, one after the other, in random order. One was the original, and one had some level of distortion. After the participants saw both photos, they chose the one that best matched their actual hand. Sounds easy, right? Well, apparently not. The participants routinely chose pictures of hands that were longer and narrower than their actual hands when seen from the back. And that was especially true if the pictures were sideways or upside down. What might be more fascinating is that this wasn't true for pictures of their palms. It turns out that the brain's visual image of the palm is way more accurate than its image of the back of the hand. That could be because the palm has more nerve endings. Given all of the complex things we do with our hands, the researchers were surprised to find that the brain's mental image was so inaccurate. Their conclusion is that visual information might not play as big of a role in how the brain relates to the body as we once thought. Understanding what information our brains use to relate to our bodies could provide a path to helping people with distorted body perceptions, such as recent amputees. So the next time you're giving someone directions in a neighborhood you're not familiar with, go ahead and tell them you know the place like the back of your hand. That way, they can't blame you for getting them lost. You did warn them. Okay, so let's rewind and talk about what we learned today. The curiosity rewind. <laughs> well, we learned that acetaminophen and forgiveness can help ease the pain of social exclusion. And this could have implications for future treatments of teenagers and adolescents to prevent depression later in life. And it's weird how much we can feel social exclusion, even when lots of places are closed and shelter-in-place policies are happening. Oh, absolutely. If your friends do, like, a session of house party or do one of those, like, group Netflix watching sessions or, like, a Zoom call and you're not invited, oh my gosh, you feel so rejected. Mm -hmm. Not that any of my friends have done that to me, but I can imagine <laughs> how bad that would be. <laughs> And we learned that a salami slicing attack, which is that thing from Office Space where they take tiny, tiny bits of money from a business every day and, and a bank actually caught an employee doing it. We also learned that you shouldn't mess with the IRS. So many lessons packed in so tightly. Lessons are packed in like a cured sausage. Ooh, there you go. Like a like a salami. Mm-hmm. Also, a good reminder that Office Space exists, and I'm probably going to watch it this week because comedies are fun to watch when you don't have anything else to do. <laughs> yeah, seriously, like the media that I've been consuming has all been from the past, like movies from the 90s I never saw or albums I used to love or video games I played in junior high. And I think it's just because I really need that comfort. And Office Space is right in that area and i'm totally gonna watch it it's such a good movie and we also learned that you don't know the back of your hand that well and that suggests that when it comes to how our brains relate to our bodies visual information probably isn't as big of a factor as we used to think i told you my hand modeling story on an old episode of the curiosity podcast a couple years ago right i totally don't remember tell me again all right so 
Yeah. So my agent emailed oh, oh, me. Oh, your your agent? You had an agent? I had I had three agents, but one of my <laughs> agent email one of my agents emailed me. Uh, and it doesn't mean I ever got any work. It just means I had agents. But <laughs> one of my agents emailed me and said, you have a hand modeling audition. And I'm like, okay, this should be easy peasy. So I walk into this photography studio and they put my hand in front of this bright light and they're taking pictures of my hand. And I'm not going to lie. I have pretty smooth skin. I moisturize. Oh, wow. Uh, I know it sounds like a being a ham, but I'm actually totally serious about this because <laughs> like they're taking photos and I'm, I'm really looking at my hand, you know, because it's really brightly lit and it's all I'm looking at. And they're just taking these close up photos. And I'm like, dude, my hand looks really good. This 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 could happen. Uh, this could be my big break. I might get a hand modeling gig, but I didn't know what product it was for. And so then they had me an iPhone, like a regular iPhone. Oh, no. And if you don't know me, I am six foot four which means I'm pretty tall and therefore have pretty big hands. And so the iPhone... So you just grab the iPhone and they're like, where did the iPhone go? <laughs> it's, it's, it was like that tiny phone in Zoolander. It was just, it's like <laughs> half the size of my hand. And I, I just immediately knew, I was like, there, there's zero chance I'm getting booked for this because my hand, though beautiful and pleasant and smooth, just it's just too big. It's not going to happen. So I, I didn't book the gig. And uh, yeah. Wow, the, the amount... Of humble bragging in that story is is just <laughs> legendary. <laughs> Look, I have to get something out of this experience. I'm clearly traumatized nearly a decade later. You should try some Tylenol. Today's stories were written by Grant Curran and Cameron Duke and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Today's episode was produced and edited by Cody Goff. Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. Stay curious.